0: If he was not here last week, I did not post a sermon we dealt with, the rapture of the church, and boy, did we cover it. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, who do men say that I am, the Son of Man, that I am? And some said, kind of reluctantly, that some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And well, all of a sudden, something supernatural happened to Simon Peter. He said, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Leave that up for a moment. During these series on eschatology, it means end times, Please do not put me in someone else's box. Do not label me. Do not say that, well, you're a church of Christ or you're a. I'm not. Sometimes it's just hard to describe certain people. And Jesus asked an honest question that. Whom does men say that I am? And, and, and one of them kind of reluctantly said, well, some say you're like John the Baptist, Mr. No-Nonsense, Turner burn. And then somebody else perked up and said, well, some of you say that you're like Elijah, you know, you don't play well with others, Mr. Bulldozer himself. And, and then somebody in the back said, you're a lot like Jeremiah, you're compassionate, you're loving, and my goodness, you got a servant's heart. But I will say to you this morning when I ask you not to put me in a box, all I ask you to do is label me the way that they label Jesus. He is a son of a living God. And that's who I am. I'm not like any other person, any other religion, any other denomination. I won't fit. All I can tell you, I am the son of a living God. And if he's in me, He's going to come out. And I'm trying to get something out of you. Matthew chapter 16, 1 through 3. Let's back up. So here we go. Now, if you have any great concerns about the rapture of the church, I thought about redoing that on a Wednesday night, or I'll talk to you. Oh, it's great. It's, it's really good. In the first season of Sadducees came and testing him, which is Jesus, and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. I'm going somewhere with this series. I'm not just going in circles. I'm going to take you somewhere, but because of the content, I'm going very slow. Okay? Because some of you are from south of Wilson, and so I have to write slow because I know you read slow, so that's why I'm doing this. So Jesus answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, that it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Now, we we have the religious leader come to Jesus and say, we want a sign. And we're going to talk about this. And he said, so the first word "sign" is is a Greek word. You don't have to show it, but it's, it's Samian. It means an indicator, an indicator. Samian. Okay. The second one, time, is where we get a word for caros, an opportunity. Well, so he said, "You are geniuses. You, you, you." You profess to be experts on predicting the weather for the next day. You, you, you claim to be experts on seeing the unseen because of the red sky or, or whatever it may be. But he said you're as blind as a bat when it comes to understanding who is standing right in front of you. This has everything to do with people that are sign seekers, and all they want to do is talk about prophecy and futuristic things. I'm telling you this morning, there's nothing wrong, or we'll get into this, but the kingdom of heaven, he said, is at hand. Matthew chapter 3. So what was the sign? What's the signs of the time? He said there have been indicators to point you of this very day. You have an opportunity, times, caros. You have an opportunity right in front of you. And matter of fact, my Father sent you many signs to point to who's standing right in front of you. But you are ignorant of that. But you are expert on predicting the weather. Oh, I know everything about the red dragon, the three lion spirits. I'm related to all those. And you know, you know, everybody's, you know, we, we, we talked about last week the rapture church. Some of you get offended and some of you agree. And some, Danny said, my mind was blown. Absolutely. But what happens is, do, is it really, is an unknown myth worth splitting and dividing church over? Heavens, no. Because you don't know. And, and the Bible said, and even Jesus wasn't going to let that out of the bag. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 says this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nizo is the word at hand. It means right in front of you, staring at you eye to eye. In the Old Testament, it is said of Ezekiel, he preached brow to brow. What is said about the prophet Ezekiel? He got right in their face. When he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it means it's staring right in front of you. Jesus Himself is staring right in front of these individuals. Now watch this, verse number three. For this is who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah prophet this in Isaiah chapter 40. What, what was the time? Jesus was the time. Jesus was the opportunity for these men to give their life to God. What was the sign? the prophecy of Isaiah, including many others. God had given these people a sign that Jesus would come to planet Earth. He would be the Messiah. He would set his kingship upon the Earth. And they had the sign, but they were ignorant of the signs. All they could do was predict the unknown weather. John the Baptist says, here's your sign. Isaiah chapter 40, 3 through 5. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every mountain should be brought down every valley should be raised up and every crooked way should be made straight. Here is the sign of the time. what is the sign of the time? it's an indicator that the fullness of time has come to earth. Jesus he's standing right in front of you. So now luke chapter 17 20, 21 the message Bible says, and we'll, we'll show this one first. And so when he, Jesus, was demanded of the Pharisees when the, when the kingdom of God should come, and he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. And neither shall they say, Lo here or Lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now hold on just a minute. when's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come? When's the kingdom going to come? And he said, the kingdom of God, is not with the observation. It's not like you have to look around for it and you got spotters everywhere and looking for signs and signals and indicators. He said, the kingdom of, of God is within you. It's, it's a Greek word called entros, where get a word for enter or in your midst. The kingdom of God is right here, he said. And it was impossible for it to be within because Jesus had not been crucified in resurrection. So the word within, it means it's right here in your midst. Does he's standing in the midst. The message puts it like this Jesus grilled by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered, The kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on a calendar. Nor when someone says, Look there, or there it is. And why? Because God's kingdom is already among you. You're wasting your time trying to figure out the future because you cannot. You're, people have been doing it for centuries. Matthew 16, verse 1. They asked, we go back to the original when we started this thing, they, they asked for a sign. So there are six times the signs were requested by the Pharisees dealing with his coming. Number one, Matthew 12, 38, we're not going to show them. Matthew 16 and 1. Matthew 24, 3. Luke eleven sixteen. 16. John 2 and 18, John 6 and 30. They demanded a sign. We want to know. Okay, so I want to ask you a big boy question. Jeremy, don't let anybody leave, okay? Why are signs... Of the return of Christ that important anyway. Why do you get hung up on signs and indicators of the return of Christ? And it's and it and it's, and it's so deep embedded in us that we we break fellowship with, with one another. Because I'd come to you and I would say, hey, do you believe in the pre-trib or post-trib? Well, I'm, I'm a post-trib. Well, of all the nerve, I'll never go back. And you don't even know what any of it means. Do you believe there'll be a rapture? Oh, well, absolutely. Well, I really don't. Well, uh, that, you're, you're, you're a false prophet. No, I'm not. You should have been here last week. So... Signs and signals and calendars and clocks, and I'm just asking for a friend, of course. Why all the guesses here? I mean, why didn't God just spell it out in plain English, Hebrew, Spanish, Latin? Why didn't God just say, This is when I'm coming back? Did you ever ask that question? I know you. I so saw I'm the only guy. So, every, everybody, there's books and prophecies, and there's millions and billions of dollars that have been made up. About the return of Christ, Persis. But nobody's got to figure out. Oh, I mean, so what we lack in intelligence, we make up in volume. And we put a little spirit behind it. boy off we go. Why is the return of Christ or the signal or sign? Why do you have to know? If an owner of a company, I'll use this daycare. We own a daycare. My wife does a great job. But if an owner a company had many employees, and the owner of the company got on the intercom and said, attention, kids own daycare workers. Attention, Gail and I are going to run some errands. I don't know when we'll be back. We're not for sure if we're going to come back today. I don't know if I'm going to take her to go on a cruise. I don't know. All I want you to know is that we'll be back. Y'all just carry on. I mean, first of all, that ain't going to happen. (laughs) Y'all just keep busy till I return. And I'm going to tell you straight up: if you have any employee that, that greets you at the door, say, "Listen, when you coming back? When you come back? When you come back? Tell us. Give us a hint. When you come back today? You come back today? What time? What time can we expect you? Huh? Can you give us a signal, a sign? Can you call us? Can you call us as a stoplight? Tell somebody that you're on your way back. I'm laughing, but you understand where this is going. And I would say, why do you need to know? Oh, we're interested in you. No because you just would goof off. And any time that you have an employee that hounds you, oh, we got to know, we got to know, then you need to question that employee of its commitment and conduct of what's going on when you're not around. Listen, and maybe the truth is these people being unsupervised If they knew the exact time of your returning, they would goof off all day long until right up somebody called and said they're on their way, they're in the parking lot, and everybody looks busy. (laughs) If God sent an angel from heaven and said, okay, attention, I'm leaving, and I'm going to come back January the 32nd, 3014 nine tenths of this church would be empty. Don't look at me that way. I've been doing this way too long. You would be you would you, you would make Solomon Gomorrah look like a, a Christian daycare center. I mean, I mean, you, you would just be gone. Oh, he ain't coming. He ain't coming back. He's not coming. I know when he's coming. He's not going to come. He won't come in my lifetime. So we cast off restraints. Off we go. That may be the reason why God didn't let you in on when he's coming back because the boss says, I'm not going to let you know when I come back, but I want you to be busy when I come back, and it always leaves in the back of your mind. We may be in big trouble if we're not busy. That's why it says, In Luke 19, verse 13, occupy till I come. Remain busy. Keep the faith. Stay the course. Read the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. Whatever you need to do, I'm coming back. And just because I didn't let you know the day or the hour or send up a flare to give you a signal that I'm in the parking lot, it may be because... I deep down think you're a big goof-off, so I've got to keep you in check. And of course, you know I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people not here this morning. You know that. <laughs> so last week, we examined the rapture doctrine, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. And here's the doctrine, that the righteous will be taken from the earth and the wicked would remain. Now, so I want to give you a little background of this very shortly, in 1820 in Glasgow, we, we went through long details last week, and I'm not going to do it again. But there was a revival, the Great Awakening, in, in Glasgow, in Scotland, in 1820, that that a young girl, at the age 12 years old, gave a prophetic vision, and the vision was she saw that godly people, the righteous would never face any persecution. They were whisked up to heaven like a cloud. And it would have stayed there, I guess, but there was a man by the name of John Darby, which was a professor at a school called the Plymouth Brethren Movement. And he was very influential as far as a preacher there, and he was there that night, and he heard that. Now, what I didn't tell you last week about this, that. He moved from being a teacher from the Plymouth Brethren Movement to begin his own ministry called the Exclusive Brethren Movement. And he and a few others wrote the bylaws to their fundamental doctrine of faith. And one of them was this. No woman would have any input or authority in biblical matters and they signed it in law. So let me back up. It's called Exclusive Brethren, No Girls Allowed. We saw a sign that for a little boy's room that says, No Girls Allowed Except Mommy. I understand that. So the Exclusive Brethren brother, brother Movement was a movement. They were a nonconformist group of individuals, and they were very smart and educated in biblical principles or scripture, So they decided that no woman, no woman would have any authority or input in biblical matters. Say no woman. That was their law. But strangely, they went to this meeting and heard a 12-year-old girl give a vision and he surrendered the doctrine that he wrote and he accepted the teaching of a 12-year-old girl. But what information we have about this twelve year old girl that she was a local medium. Right. History will tell you that she was a had a spirit of divination. And she was used to I'm not gonna say what she was used for, but she was she had a a scheme and a plot that was hired by the Catholic Church to divert. So she was a, she had a, she was a medium. She was a spirit of divination. It was, she was divided between the natural and supernatural. Now, at 12 years old, so before you just stomp out of here, I'll give you a good Bible lesson. The Apostle Paul is headed to Rome in Acts chapter 16, and on the way, he come across a young girl, and he referred to her as a damsel. Pahis in the Greek is for a girl 11 or 12-year-old, damsel, 11 or 12-year-old, and she herself had the spirit of divination. And you know what she did? She didn't jump up and say, you're the devil or you're an OSU fan. I mean, you know, same thing, (laughs) but, but whatever. You know what she said? These men show us the way to the Most High God. She followed them around for days, said, Oh, they're God's people. They're God's man. We're all together. And Paul got so mad at him, he turned around and spun around and he casted that spirit right out of her. She had a divided spirit, spirit of divination, at the age of damsel 11 or 12. This girl was sent by Satan to spawn the biggest false doctrine. In church history, almost. And if you'll stay with me, we'll talk about the divine calendar of the tribulation and all this other stuff. But she, in, in 1620, she was the beginning that sown the seed to where we are today. So I was going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you, but I'll tell you right now. You Might as well. You knew I was, don't you? Oh, yeah. Then, I first got in church, at Assembly of God church, um, uh, And I don't mind calling names. I mean, Jesus called them, so we'll just say it like it is. Man, I was on fire for God. I couldn't even see straight. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything. And I was in a meeting, and there's a couple, there's about half a dozen guys in there, and the pastor was there. And and that guy raised his hand. He said, well, I have a problem with the rapture of the church. And I looked at him. I thought, well, you devil. I mean, everybody knows there's a rapture of the church. And the pastor said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, it's not validated by Scripture. And he said, well, it sure is. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, and, and he says, but in matter of setting doctrine, it's got to be established by witnesses of two or three. So in English language, it means this, no doctrine can be formed unless it's validated by at least two scriptures. Two. Are you with me? Just say amen or something. I feel like I'm, yeah. So if you don't know that, that's the way it works. I mean, you just can't dream up a doctrine and say, hey, that's a good doctrine. It has to be validated and substantiated by at least two verses. And then the claim is a doctrine. And this was exactly said in, in this Bible study by the pastor, and this is what he said. But we, which means the assemblies of God, we have made an exception to this doctrine. Back in 1980, when I was young, you know, I thought, I thought, good for you, buddy. You put him in his place. I was, I was on the pastor's side. Boy, was he wrong. So what I'm telling you is the fact that that if if you believe in the rapture, if it happens, okay, we're all going to go. It's good. It's It's all right. What, whatever you want to call it, I'm just going to refer to it as the second coming of Christ, and, and we're just going to leave it there. But I will tell you that, that this young girl with a spirit of divination, that she was sent there, and we found out last week that John Darby came to the United States, got a hold of D.L. Moody, and then Cyrus Schofield started putting headings on the Bible, and that's where it becomes dangerous. Because in your grandfather's and your grandmother's old Bible, there was not headings. It was straight scriptures until Cyrus Schofield come along with the Schofield reference Bible. And he started putting headings where he thought his theology and his thoughts could be attached and asserted to theology. And that got very dangerous. So if we're going to get it right, let's go to the scripture. Let's leave off the superstitions. Let's get it right. Matthew 24, 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Leave it right there. Who went away? Say it again. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be when the coming of the Son of Man shall be. It was Noah's day and God put him in the ark, which represents Christ. The righteous remained on earth, and the wicked was removed. You see, Noah was a tiller of the ground. He was tiller of the earth, and God had a purpose for him after the flood was over, to multiply, be fruitful, and to replenish the earth. The earth was made because God said it was good. And the earth will exist forever and ever, ladies and gentlemen. It will not burn up like an atomic bomb. I don't care what they do. God is greater than any atomic nuclear warfare. This earth is a wonderful, beautiful place. Go to Arizona. Go to the Colorado Mountains. Go to the Blue Hills of Kentucky. It's beautiful. Now don't go south of Wilson, but go other places. It's a beautiful place. I went to Utah again. I went to Utah one time and I took a ATV ride up in the mountains. Didn't want to go, but I did. Took a while to get there, and I got on top of this mountain, and I don't even know what the mountain was, but I looked around and I thought, how can anyone say there's not a God? You see, the rapture of the church says the opposite. The superstition says this, that the wicked will be whisked away. Excuse me, the righteous will be whisked away, and the wicked will remain. But Jesus said that's not the way it is when the coming of the Son of Man shall be. And you say, Well, that's not the rapture. I just proved to you last week. That's not the rapture. It's the second coming. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. And when he comes, just like it was in the day of Noah, the righteous remains, and the wicked is taken out. I didn't make that up. Verse 40 through 41. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other one left. Now leave it right there. It gets to the mill. Now what's this talking about? It's all in the same context. Same as Noah. Next verse. But the key word to this is the word taken. The word taken. The word taken in the Greek is paralabamo. And paralabamo has everything to do with to seize, to snatch, to remove with violence, or force. Two's gonna be in the field and one shall be taken. Now, now remember last week we used the word caught up, got caught up in gossip, got caught up in, in a sex scandal at work, you got caught up in a money market. We we explained the word caught up to you. And in the clouds, the prefix of in the clouds is with the clouds. And we found out last week the word clouds is not clouds at all. It's crowds. Hebrews chapter 12, a great crowd of witnesses. It says clouds, but the New Living Translation used it correctly. means crowds. And the idea of the two's in the field and one shall be taken and one shall be left behind. And so this word taken, it means paralebano It means this. Is, is that it was a roar that the Romans used to go and find a fugitive and bring him in, kicking and screaming? Right. Right. Judgment is involved. Right. Right. And when he said there's two in the field or two in the mill, and, 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 and one is left and one is taken. And the one that is taken is kicking and screaming and stomping and spitting and trying to resist. It doesn't sound to me like a gentle whisking away. The righteous remains. The wicked is taken off. Matthew 13, verse 30. The wheat and tares. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, "Watch this? Gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. Which goes first, ladies and gentlemen? Tares. So the first thing, some of you, you're you're, going to say, well, this is not the kingdom. Not so fast, my friend. Stay with me three weeks, please. Just stay with me. And I'm telling you once again, Matthew 3 and 2, the kingdom of heaven is right here among us. And if it was among them back in 2,000 years ago, it's still among us today. Malachi 3 and 2. This is referred to as the concerning the day of the Lord. But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and fuller's soap. The coming of the Lord is like refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He's giving you a sign of what's going to happen when he comes. You take a a raw ore material material in some type of a basin or a metal pot or whatever they had to use, and they would heat this thing up, this silver ore, so much that the dross or the, the slag would rise to the surface. And as the heat began to build up, the The impurities would rise to the top and a silversmith would scrape it off and throw it to one side. The dross is removed. The silver remains. Fuller soap. He says it's kind of like being in a laundromat. You work hard all day and your clothes is dirty and they don't smell very good. So you put your clothes, your dirty clothes that are stained and dirty into a washing machine, and you add soap, and you turn it on, if you know how to turn it on. And then after a lot of agitating, you come back, and guess what? The dirt is gone, but the clothes remain. How weird would it be if you put your dirty clothes in the washing machine and you open it up, and the dirt's there, and the clothes are gone? That's the rapture of the clothes. That's nuts. Turn to somebody. And say we're all nuts. We we've, we've been duped. John fifteen. Don't turn there. Don't don't show it, Jordan. He said, my father is the husband of the vineyard, and I'm the vine and you're the branches. But my father will purge and prune every branch that is not bearing good fruit. And the bad fruit and the bad branches are taken away. but the fruitful vine remains. Has God ever purged someone out of your life? Don't answer that. Has God ever pruned someone out of your life? And it hurt. The last couple weeks has probably been the most painful time for my wife and I. Probably. As someone that you loved and you have friendship with and someone that you grew up together and you went to high school together or they lived across the street and, and they knew you were, I quote, Christian, but, you know, God said, you know, they're contaminating you and I'm cutting them off from you. It's the same principle in the kingdom of God. God removes the imperfections of the silver. God removes the dirt from the clothes. At his coming, God removes the tares from the good wheat. At his coming, God removes and washes away the wicked ones. And Noah and his family remains on the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. This earth belongs to God. God made it. He signed it. Sin has tried to destroy it, but there'll come a day, we'll learn in a few weeks that the Son of Man will come back and set up his kingdom upon this earth. That'll be a great day. But I'm here to tell you this morning, instead of being a professional, sign seeking church, only interested in seeking his return, we have only been commanded to seek one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall come to you. Matthew 6, 33. Now watch this, watch it. Show this, show this. Great. Matthew 6, 33. I got to show this, Dan. I got to home. We've been commanded only one thing to seek. Quit seeking prophetic signs. Quit wasting your time on on guessing. Quit quit wasting good energy. Quit starting fights in the church that has no meaning, no, no validation for fights. We don't know. We may have clues, and for somebody who said they do know, they don't know. But what I do know is this. I'm forbidden to spend my life seeking signs, but I'm commanded to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know what the word righteous means? Righteous one. Dr. Sunni, righteous one. Seek the kingdom of God and the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? King Jesus. My job is to seek King Jesus. Your job may be here to goof off and, and, and slither around and, and hide behind the, 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 the fig leaves back in the garden and, and pretend, but I'll tell you, the day will come that pretending is over. My job is to seek the kingdom. Look for it. Investigate it. Search it out. It's a hunter's term. A hunter, before he actually goes to hunt things, he looks for tracks. Going through the water. He gets somewhere and hides, and and he's seeking the kingdom. Where's God going? Where's he moving? I guarantee you, I'm not following that trail because it's going nowhere. That's not where he's at. The kingdom of heaven is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've been commanded to seek the righteous one, King Jesus. And I hope that is your focus as well. If we can get past Easter, which we will, and I'll be nice at Easter. (laughs) But I will tell you, come weekend after Easter, we're going to break Jesus out and he'll be King Jesus from now on to you. And I'll tell you what dispensationalists believe in doctrine but I will tell you, King Jesus is among us and within us. Amen. And we're not waiting on anything. So what's going to happen? So I want to say this before I go. Somebody, somebody run up here and ask me. I knew it was going to happen. Well, do you believe in the tribulation? And, you know, I just want to kick somebody in the shin. You know, I just. Listen, I believe in past tribulation. I believe that Jesus came not to planet Earth, but I believe that he came in 70 A.D. to bring judgment in the Olivet Discourse in 70 A.D., and he slammed the doors on the religious ceremonies, and they have not reinstituted sacrificial worship since. I do believe in present-day tribulations and persecutions. I do believe present-day Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2 said the Antichrist are already among us. But I also believe there's a future, of the Antichrist, to come. I believe that Christ came in 70 AD in the heavens, but I believe he's coming again to set his feet upon planet Earth, according to Zechariah 10 and Zechariah 12. But I also believe that he comes every day of our life in the form and the fashion of the Holy Spirit to educate us and encourage us and to adjust our attitudes. So don't put me in a box. When you leave here, just say, I believe the boy is the son of the living God. And he's seeking the kingdom with all of his heart that Jesus may be glorified. That's what I'm after. Are you with me? Will will Jesus come again? He will. He will. He's coming. And when he comes, woo! The the wicked is in trouble, but the righteous will remain, and we will rule and reign with him. Sorry about the rapture, dirty clothes. That was a bad joke. Father, we love you. And I don't know, I I, I believe that when something shifted a couple years ago with this virus of COVID, that the heavens shifted as well. I I believe that your, your word says when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And everyone in this place, they have experienced and suffered heartaches and disappointments and and unexpected deaths and tragedies. But I can't explain it, but we've never felt such a greater peace in our life. The kingdom of heaven is among us. The king of heaven is at hand. The king of God is within us. And we shall not be moved. Let the wicked run and flee. They have forsaken the ways of God. But the righteous is a city that is set upon a hill. So, Father, that whatever that you have in store for us in the future, whether it's in my lifetime or not, that your word is true. You set up on the circle of the earth, and I refuse to be caught up in the spiral of superstitions. I trust your word. And whatever that you have in store for us, we're just going to trust you. And we may not know when you're going to return That's not our business. Our business is to occupy, to preach the gospel, pray for one another, equip the saints, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, be neighborly to the neighbor. That is our assignment until you come. So let us be about your business this morning. Prepare us for Easter service, please. Let our hearts be ready. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering. Stand to your feet if you would. Oh, baby. So I'll tell you what, you have my permission. Come on, communion service. If somebody was not here today that you can see them next week, say, really, you were biblically in the message last week. The wicked was removed from the church, and we were here. You can tell them that. No man knows the day or the hour. But is it really that important? Is it worth breaking fellowship over? And the answer is no. Is it really losing friends over knowing pre, mid, and post-tribulation? The answer is no. I would just rather link up beside you and do the work of Jesus today. And we'll let God take, about, we'll let God take care of the future. 2,000 years ago, our Lord sat with his disciples, and he took the bread, and he lifted it up, and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the the Passover, the bread and the cup. It was the unleavened bread. But Jesus said, now, we're going to celebrate it a little different. I am the bread that my Father sent from heaven. And if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said for 1500 years you've been celebrating the lamb's blood and in that passover ritual that you would take it and the lamb's blood and you would place it over the post of the door in the shape of a cross then when abaddon the death angel would come to that house that he would pass over your family but Jesus said now I am the lamb of god which takes away the sins of the world So once again, that we go back to Scripture, that I'm seeking the righteous one this morning, it's Christ Jesus. Father, bless this bread and bless this cup. And just draw us closer to you as we seek you with all of our heart in Christ's name. Amen.